Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Smell Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Boateng. This week, please join me in listening to an interview with food Instagrammer and fellow anosmic Anthea Bull. Anthea was born in the UK and is currently living in the Netherlands, where she has been for the last nine years. Before that, she was in France for 15 years, so you could say that she really loves to travel. Anthea has been an acquired anosmic for about eight years now due to a tumor in her olfactory nerve. Let's go ahead and listen to our interview. Hi, Anthea. Welcome to the Smell Podcast. How are you doing today? Hi, Katie. Thanks. I'm doing really well, thanks. And I'm really happy to be here with you today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to speaking with you. So let's start. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where are you from and where do you live now? Yeah, I'm uh, 46 years old, almost 47. Uh, I was born in the UK. Um, and after my studies, I went to live in Switzerland for a year. And I think that gave me the traveling bug uh, because after that, I moved to France. And I was there for, I think, about 15 years before I moved to the Netherlands uh, nine years ago. So I think I feel more European than anything else. Um, and I love traveling. I love food. I'm intrigued by anything to do with psychology. Yeah, and I'm a Pisces as well, in case anybody's uh, into star signs. <laughs> That's cool. So because you've moved around so much and you lived in France for such a long time, do you speak other languages besides English? Uh, so I speak French um, and I'm doing my best with the Dutch. I'm not quite there yet, but I do my best. Yeah. Very cool. So what made you kind of settle down in the Netherlands? I came for work originally and it's one of those things where you never quite know how long you're going to stay. And like I said, it's almost nine years now. Yeah, and I love it here. So maybe stay for another couple of years. Very cool. So what do you do for work? Uh, so I work in human resources. Uh, like I said, intrigued by anything to do with psychology. So anything to do with working together. Um, so more of an office job. Yeah. yeah. So what is your anosmia backstory? Yeah, I was thinking about that. So it was probably eight years ago. I just, I've been in the Netherlands for about a year. Uh, and I was diagnosed with a tumor in my olfactory nerve. Uh, and I think the medical name is an esthesioneuroblastoma. And that's how it started. It, it, it was the beginning of, of an amazing journey um, because actually I was diagnosed here in the Netherlands, but I was eligible for a special type of surgery which was less invasive than the classic uh, protocol. Mm -hmm. And I actually ended up going to Italy for the operation. And when I think back about how the Dutch medical teams work with the Italian medical teams, you know, working on their days off and things to make it all happen. I'm really grateful for, yeah, they could have just gone with the standard protocol, but I felt that they were really looking for the best treatment for me. And I think I was still in Amsterdam before I left for Italy. My ENT consultant took me one, to one side and told me that with the surgery, there was a risk that I wouldn't be able to smell afterwards. Mm. Uh, and I remember thinking, you know, at that time I was more bothered about, <laughs> you know, please get rid of the tumor. And she said, yeah, but no, Anthea, really think about this, right? Think about what it might mean to live in a life without smell. Wow. Uh, and I'm eternally grateful to her just for that, you know, stopping and pausing a bit, you know, not just brush it aside. Um, and she was the one that really got me thinking about what it might be like one day not to smell. And I remember sometimes smelling things before the operation and it sounds a bit Marie Kondo if I say it now but almost saying goodbye to the smells thinking you know this might be the last time I ever smell this so so saying goodbye to it 
Wow. Yeah. But I think the thing I didn't, the thing I totally underestimated was the link between smell and taste. Mm. So I felt pretty prepared for life without smell, but not for life without taste. Gotcha. So when you, when you discovered that you had a tumor in your nose, Mm. were there symptoms? Like, how did you find that part out? Yeah, I think it's different for everybody. I think mine was, um, I was really tired, but but then looking back, you know, I'd only been in the, I'd moved to a new country, I had a new job, I was commuting a lot, so I think I put the tiredness down to the new job. Uh, it was only when I started having problems sleeping. Uh, I think when I was lying on my back, I'd, I would wake up in the middle of the night and feel like I was drowning or suffocating. So I was adding, you know, an extra pillow and an extra pillow, and then I ended up sleeping sitting up. And mm. I remember thinking to myself, you know, I'm only 39, this isn't normal. But the thing that really clinched it was I went to see some friends in the UK flying. And on the way back, I had a really big buildup of pressure in my face. Um, and so after that, I went to the, I went to the GP. Uh, and she said she could see something in my nose. She had a quick look. Uh, so she referred me to the ENT department at the local hospital. Yeah. And then but a friend of mine of... had something, yeah, something similar, and she had nosebleeds. So I think it's different for everybody. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So then your anosmia is a direct result of the surgery? Yeah, because to take out the tumor, they actually took out the whole olfactory mechanism. Uh, Only on one side, because we've got the two olfactory nerves. So I had the tumor was on the right-hand side. uh, And the surgeons left the left-hand side in, hoping that maybe that that would help me to be able to smell afterwards. But either it's gone into hibernation or something. But the left-hand side isn't, isn't working, yeah. Got it. That's so fascinating. And, and it's also kind of a unique story to me to hear that you kind of knew ahead of time that that was going to happen. And your doctor put that in your ear and kind of like warned you and yeah. paid attention to it. That seems really unusual and kind of like a really cool situation that she did that. Yeah, I'm really, I often think back to that moment because like I said, at that time I was busy with other thoughts and always just really grateful that she made me sit down and and think about it for a while. Yeah. yeah. And I hadn't thought about the fact that, you know, many people that I meet with anosmia, acquired anosmia, it's already happened before we can prepare. Yeah, like you said, I never thought about being able to prepare for it before. That's cool. So I connected with you on social media. You have an Instagram that I follow, and it's called yep. Anosmic Foodie. Mm-hmm. So can you please tell us a little bit about your Instagram page and how you got started with it? Yeah, I think in the... Um, I love food. And then, of course, there was this moment when when nothing tasted how I was expecting it to taste. Uh, And in 2012, it wasn't that long ago, but it didn't seem to be so much information available. Uh, And I I started thinking, you know, maybe because I was experimenting with things and I started thinking maybe I can share with other people who go through a similar process, you know, things that work for me in case it inspires them. But I actually started with a blog. Uh, but then I realized that I, I really wasn't posting regularly. And I noticed that I had this pressure of, you know, to take the perfect picture or to write the perfect article when actually the, the aim of doing it was really just to share ideas. And when I heard about Instagram, I thought, well, this is great because I don't need to write a long article. I can just write a few lines. I can just snap a picture with my phone. And then hopefully I can do what I was aiming to do, which was simply to share ideas. Yeah, I really enjoy following you there and like seeing the pictures of the food that you post. <clears throat> and you told me um, in an email ahead of our interview that 
like you don't consider yourself like a professional chef. You're just doing the recipes that you're not coming up with the recipes, but you're, you're making the ones that you like in a way that makes sense to you. And I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. I, even I think in the beginning when I was doing the blog, I was thinking, Oh, could I do a cookbook? You know, what can I do? And I thought it's not really about recipes for an osmix. It's just about how we can tweak food. So I don't develop recipes. Um, but I'm really happy, you know, if I, if I find something that works for me or a site, then I'm happy to share all those resources. Um, and I really think it's about finding something that just works for everybody's different, right? So I think it's just about finding things that work for us. And what has been kind of the reaction of people who find out that you are a person who has anosmia, who has this uh, food Instagram? Do people ever comment about your anosmia? Yeah, it's funny. I think friends are really surprised that that, that the cooking's still okay. So when I have friends around or I'm cooking for other people, uh, they always seem quite surprised. And I, I was telling somebody yesterday, I think I'm still cooking on autopilot. You know, I know that I don't need to throw a handful of salt in something, but I'm really mm -hmm. curious to see with time as the years go by, will I start forgetting how much is too much salt? Or So I'm curious to see how that evolves. Yeah, most people are quite, quite surprised and happy for me. And I'm happy too, because I found a way of enjoying food again. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. So another question for you. How has your relationship with food and eating changed since you became anosmic? Wow. Yeah, I think, I think it's a totally different approach. Because even if I think about the way I read a menu, I think before my brain was always scanning the menu, you know, looking for for the, the flavors that it wanted to have, or, you know, I want, uh, today I want a shrimp, so I'd be scanning the menu for shrimp. Or I'd see a dish and I'd think, oh, yeah, I want that. It's almost like learning a new language. And again, friends say that I use different words to describe food than maybe I did in the past or maybe other people do. So what I'm looking for now on a menu, for example, is like how many different tastes and textures can I get into the same meal? And I'm often trying to second guess, you know, how is, especially if the menu is quite succinct and they don't give you many details about the dish, I'm trying to second guess, okay, how will they, how will they cook this or how will they present this? And I think I add a lot more, you know, I, I used to love, I still love Italian cooking, but the whole philosophy of, you know, the simple is best. And now I have to admit it's a bit like more is more, you know, the more mm -hmm. stuff I can get into one dish. Uh, the better, which are why things like buffets are amazing because nobody's judging you for having, you know, the dessert with the main dish. And, and, and that's really satisfying. Yeah, I experiment a lot more, uh, do a lot of Asian or use a lot of Asian ingredients. Maybe it's not Asian cooking. Um, and I use loads of toppings and seasonings and condiment. I, my kitchen's full of jars of like seeds and nuts and powders and spices and yeah, sometimes I just look around the kitchen and think, okay, you know, what, what do I want to add here just to make it a bit more exciting? It almost sounds kind of like it's gotten better. Oh, that's funny, yeah. It definitely, yeah, it definitely got better. There was a really, a really tough time in the beginning. Right. Uh, and I hear from, from people who, you know, who contact me, who are going through something similar. There's that, those dark days when your brain is expecting something. You know, like for you, a strawberry, it's going to be sweet and juicy. And, and then you get like what tastes like the wateriest strawberry you've ever had. And they're all the same. So there are dark days. I, I think it's a, definitely a hope that it gets better. 
And now I'm much more experimental, probably. And again, it's not about um, suggesting that other people eat the same, you know, weird and wonderful stuff that I do, but just about yeah, finding a way to to tweak things so that you can enjoy it more. But yeah, yeah. no, and I'm really happy that I can uh, still enjoy food. Yeah. So, what is your after just listening to you speak now? You you mentioned earlier that it you were prepared for the lack of smell, or you had kind of mentally prepared yourself for that, but maybe yeah. you were unaware or unprepared for how it impacted your taste. So yeah. what would you rate your ability to actually taste your food as? Yeah, really basic. Uh, and I think that's sometimes the hardest thing in daily life when, when I'm trying to explain what it's like to people. Mm-hmm. I think in, in everyday life, taste and flavor become interchangeable. You know, we use right. them all the time, whereas I make a really big difference between a basic taste. So I tell people that I can tell the difference between uh, an appetizer and a dessert, for example, but I tell them I can't distinguish, you know, if you have like a great Vietnamese soup or something, I, like, I have no idea that there's lemongrass in there or yeah. all these really subtle flavors. So I think that that's a big thing for me, the difference between uh, taste and, and flavor. Yeah. I have a similar situation. I think that I have like the basic tastes, but I don't really distinguish flavors anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always happy to find people like you who have like your Instagram and your blog and then um, others who do that as well because it's inspiring to me because I really struggle now with cooking and eating to like enjoy it. I don't really enjoy it and it's it's something that I should focus on more I think and like maybe try to do better mm-hmm. but it's really hard so I find like what you're doing inspiring for people like us who do have anosmia. Wow thank you um, and what's the hardest for you Katie? <clears throat> Um, I think the fact that I can't smell the food makes it more of a chore than like uh, something that I enjoy doing. So Mm -hmm. like I tend to make the same foods on repeat, like for the week. So I'll take food for my lunches and I'll make things like, um, pasta. Like I know how to make spaghetti well, and I can make like sandwiches, you know, just like very Mm -hmm. basic things. But if it comes to like, I'm going to make a really nice meal that I want to eat I don't do that anymore oh wow that makes me quite sad in a way yeah and yeah but you would like to right because you love food and yeah I mean I think I I think I need to approach it in a way I think I need to approach it in a way where I can maybe put it aside like the negativity of of the fact that I don't have a sense of smell and somehow get joy out of it anyway yeah I don't know if you can put that to one side but all I would say with the sandwiches is I try and mix things up, you know, like sweet with salty. So I yeah. try and put like a sweet spread or something with cheese. Or I try and put like a chili sauce with something else. So always trying to add, you know, more like contrasts. Yeah. Because um, there's these conventions, right? And that's what I've struggled with a lot over the years is people who can smell or who are really into food, they say, yeah, that, that doesn't go with that. You know, you can't eat that. And, it, and I think for a long time, I was like, oh, you can't eat that. That doesn't go together. And one day I was like, who says that I can't eat this? I live, in, <laughs> I live in a totally different world to these people. And I really, you know, appreciate all their knowledge. And, but we're just living in different worlds. And I have to do what makes me happy so that I can enjoy food. So maybe just next time you make the sandwich, have a look around the kitchen and think, oh, what could I add here that's like maybe really weird? But just yeah. To try yeah, and see what happens. No, that's, yeah, that's a good idea. That's making me, like, automatically think there's, like, this 
raspberry jam that I could put on like my ham sandwich. <laughs> and it's got seeds and they're crunchy too, right? So you get the sweetness yeah. and the crunchy seeds and that. Try it. It's almost like a pickle that you could eat with ham, but yeah. you take it to jam and you put it on the sandwich. Try yeah. it. Let me know. Yeah. Yeah. We in Osmix have a pass. We're allowed to do whatever we want. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So my next question for you, when smell comes up for you in daily life, do you take the time to explain to people in your atmosphere that you don't have a sense of smell? Oh, this is another one I think where I see things changing. I realize, I remember the beginning, I did have a big need to tell people. And it was only like looking back that I realized that it was my need. I needed people to acknowledge that, you know, the loss and I was listening to the podcast with Carrie, and she talks about the grief. I, I could really relate to that. You know, we've lost something, and I need you to hear about this, and I need you to try and imagine what it might be like for me. And yet, anosmia is one of those things that it's really difficult to imagine what it's like. So I think in the beginning, it was more about just acknowledge that, you know, my loss. And because then I started to realize that sometimes I would explain people, but then I thought, what does it actually bring, you know, to the conversation or to, to the situation for them to know? So I don't always mention it now. I think it really depends on the person I'm with. Some people are just really curious and, you know, you feel like, oh, this might be an interesting discussion. Or maybe if I'm working with a colleague, you know, if we're leading a workshop or something and we're kind of responsible for a group and, you know, I'm, I'll tell them up front, hey, if, if, if you can smell burning, let me know because I can't smell, you know. So mm. you know, don't think that I'm just carrying on as if nothing was happening. Or the other day I was... Um, in a cooking workshop uh, and we were working with gas stoves and actually the gas was going out a couple of times and the, the person I was working with said, oh, but it really stinks of gas around here. Can you not smell it? So then I was like, well, no, actually not. So if it goes out again, can you just let me know uh, mm. so that I can light the flame again? So I think I do it more now on a kind of need to know basis. Right. Uh, unless I think that it could be a, an interesting discussion with someone. I think it's important in like a work setting, if it's like around lunchtime and things like that. Yeah. I actually burned my pot pie. I, I don't know if you've ever heard of Trader Joe's. Is there Trader Joe's in the Netherlands? Yeah, it's like a, no, but I've heard of it. Yeah. Okay. So there's like this Trader Joe's pot pie that I had bought to have at lunch and I brought it to work and it got burnt and it was pretty bad, I guess. But again, I don't have a sense of smell. So I just put it in the microwave. And I left it there, and then it said to cook it for, like, 10 minutes. And apparently that was too long. So the whole office was just, like, very stinky, I guess, yeah. of burning. And I was like, you guys, I told you, I don't have a sense of smell. So sorry. Like yeah, because it doesn't always stick with people either. Mm-hmm. And so, maybe, yeah, maybe, I'm a bit the same with when I take lunches to work. This is where I do impose limits on myself. Um, I avoid, um, I love curry and spicy stuff, but I avoid taking it to work because I hear comments from other colleagues, oh, you know, this, this, that person's lunch, you know, really stinks or it's, you mm. know, taking over the office. So I'm a bit careful about about yeah. the kind of things that I take. Yeah. It must get self-conscious in a way. Yeah, and especially if people don't know, then they'll have their own idea about, you know, why I bring, you know, eggs to work or whatever. So Right. Uh, so this next question is one that I like to ask everyone because I'm interested in their opinions. So there's no like right or wrong answer. Mm-hmm. But do you, do you self-identify as having a disability? Oh, wow. I don't know if I'd call it a disability. 
I definitely feel like I'm missing like important clues about the world around me. But I do remember in the beginning uh, when I lost, probably, you know, thinking about what I'd lost or did I have a disability was definitely going through my mind. And I remember Googling uh, and coming across some medical insurance documents or something. I have no idea where I found it. Um, but it's where they categorize different kinds of disabilities in percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember actually in this document finding loss of smell and it was in the same category as losing one of your little fingers. And I think oh. they put it as like a 7% disability or something. And I remember my first reaction was like, what? You know, 7% losing my little finger. But in a way, when I think back, I think, well, yeah, anosmia hasn't stopped me from doing anything that I wanted to do. You know, I've been able to continue in the same line of work. I can keep my independence which wouldn't be the case maybe if I lost one of my other senses. And then on New Year's Eve, I cut my finger and I had this, you know, Band-Aid on. And it was daft, but there were loads of things that I couldn't do. So now when I think back, I think, yeah, you know, how big of a disability is it? I think it has, it has a bigger impact than, I th- than people think. Mm-hmm. And it's more on my quality of life. Maybe it's like an invisible disability. Or an invisible superpower, right? Because (laughs) now I get, yeah, now I see things and experience things in a totally different way. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely things that we can do that others cannot do well. So, I mean, that part is pretty cool. Yeah, so superpower maybe, but or invisible disability. Yeah, and I'm curious, like, who came up with the 7% number? Seems very arbitrary. Yeah, I think it's medical <laughs> insurers or something, probably if they have to pay out or something after an accident. But yeah, I just remember thinking, really? You know, the person who wrote this has no idea, you know, what it's like. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Definitely. Yeah. So my next question for you is, what would you like people who do not have anosmia to know about what it's like for you having anosmia? Um, yeah, I think I, I just touched on it, but for me... Um, Anosmia is about so much more than not just being able to smell. Uh, And it's almost like a different way of life because the the smell piece, um, you know, and very often people will comment and say it must be great because you can't smell the garbage or the bad smells. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course we can't smell the, the other smells anymore. But there's something about not being able to smell affects uh, my safety in a way, you know, so I live on my own. Mm-hmm. So if there was some burning smell in the middle of the night, I wouldn't smell it. And I've had situations where um, I've been approached by people whose behavior was quite strange, but I've never know, you know, and then later someone will say, oh, yeah, that person was really drunk, but mm. I couldn't smell that on them. So I find it really quite disorientating to find out, you know, where's this behavior coming from and and not knowing if they're drunk or not because I can't smell. So there's all these and the clues about about my environment, because I realized that before I probably went into a room and got loads of this kind of unconscious clues about the place. Right. And now it's just a room. Right. And that room smells the same, whether it's in Europe or whether it's in Nepal or somewhere. I went to Kathmandu a few years ago. And I remember that there was this really heavy lingering smell of smoke all over the city. 
And now, yeah, if I went back, well, it would it would be my, more like a film set probably because I'd see the buildings, right? And I might the the air might feel thicker in my nose because of the smoke, but I wouldn't have the the smoke thing. So, I think there's the the lack of smell is not just about whether you can smell flowers or coffee. It has such a strong link to how safe do I feel in my environment and how safe can I keep myself. And the confidence thing as well, you know, other people have talked about this, but, you know, do I, do I smell or do I have bad breath or uh, how will I know? So I really rely on my friends and colleagues to tell me if there's a problem there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so smell. And then, of course, the, the taste, the taste thing as well. So It kind of reminds me, so there's so many other things that impact us without by us not having a sense of smell there's the book and I had Dr. Dr. Hers on an episode but she wrote a book which was called The Scent of Desire Mm -hmm. Discovering Our Enigmatic Sense of Smell and a lot of it was talking about like the psychology of smell so if have you read this book because you mentioned that you like psychology no I've read a couple of books but not this one so definitely going to check that one out yeah so yeah if maybe you should check that book out because it just kind of talks about how how we are so psychologically impacted by the smells that are around us and like how it impacts our emotions and also just like our memories though. So like typically like when you were in, you said Kathmandu and the smell of the smoke, like that smell of the smoke, if you smelled it again, would probably make you think of that situation and that place immediately. And like moving forward now, like you and I and other people who have anosmia, we are not able to, take that smell cue and like put it in our brain and then remember it again in Mm. the future so that book anyway I I just think you would really enjoy it so maybe if you read it you should let me know what you think later definitely thank you yeah and the emotional thing like the the fact that we have we don't have the same access to memories through the smell yeah it's uh oh definitely going to check out the book thank you yeah and she has an episode on the show so if you read the book um you can go back and listen to her talking and listen about to the it podcast yeah yeah definitely wow so thank very, you yeah of course um so my next question is also another favorite of mine if you could have a sense of smell again would you want it back oh yeah i've thought a lot about this one over the years and i think i used to think i would because of all the things that were missing but then again, I suppose with time, I feel like I'm almost used to not having a sense of smell. Uh-huh. And I do get this thing, and other people have mentioned it on the podcast, about every now and again, I don't know, once or maybe twice a year. And it happens a lot with cigarette smoke and especially cigar smoke. I sometimes think that I get a whiff of the smell. Mm-hmm. And the worst thing is if it's happening in the street... If I think I can smell cigarette smoke, I'm trying to find out who's got the cigarette. And sometimes I find myself trotting after them and, and trying to breathe in deeper to kind of double check. Did I really smell the cigarette? Um, right. But, but when that happens, I notice that it really, I mean, I can't do anything else. It's completely overwhelming. It's really distracting. And so then I think, yeah, but that's just one smell. Can you imagine standing in the street and being able to smell everything all over again? So sometimes I think now that I've gone through the grief process and the dark days and come out on the other side, sometimes it's better to leave things as they are. That's a good yeah. answer. I don't know. How about you? 
I don't know either. Yeah. Um, most of the congenital anosmics that I've spoken to have said no, that they're not interested for yeah. kind of the reasons that you've just mentioned, that it would be overwhelming and they're mm-hmm. okay as they are. I had a sense of smell until I was like 19, 18, 19 years old. And yeah. it's been about 10 years. So I guess two thirds of my life I would, ha- I had it. And like this one third of my life I haven't. Mm-hmm. So I think I would want it back, but I don't know how that would go. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure yeah. if that would be so overwhelming that I wouldn't want it anymore. Mm-hmm. And someone mm-hmm. said, I don't remember who, but someone said that they would want to try it, but they would want to be able to turn it off if it was too much. Yeah, I was thinking, and I, I hear of people <laughs> who say that it comes back for them sometimes for a few minutes and then mm-hmm. it goes again. And I think, wow, how would it be to have to cope with it's back? You know, that, that whatever that generates in us, it, it's back. And, and then for it to go again, I mean, that maybe the disappointment there would be even, even bigger. Even worse. Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> yeah not sure about it. Yeah. Don't know how to answer that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, do you have anything else that you'd like to share with listeners? Yeah, I'm sure there's lots more. I think that we... And you mentioned it as well. I think that the biggest thing is that um, is that it's possible to enjoy food again. And I would just really encourage people to experiment with whatever works for them. And ha- however crazy the combinations might seem, you know, just just go for it, try it, see what happens. There's so much to play with. We talked about the basic taste, but I'm always looking for textures and contrasts. You know, so hot and cold and I think if we play with all these contrasts um, and try and get lots of different um, small dishes in one big meal, uh, yeah, then there's, we really can enjoy food. So just, just, just have fun, play with it, see what happens. That's excellent advice. And how can listeners find you online and on social media, your, your websites? Yeah, I'm just on Instagram at anosmicfoodie. And the thing that I love there is just sharing ideas, hearing your tips, any questions. It's a great community, and I've met some really uh, lovely people. So, yeah, you can find me at Anosmic Foodie, all in one word. Very nice. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me today. I've enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, me too. Thanks for having me, Katie. Have a great afternoon. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode, and thanks to Anthea for coming on and sharing her story with us. If you'd like to check out her Instagram, you can find it online at anosmicfoodie, and that's spelled A-N-O-S-M-I-C-F-O-O-D-I-E. Anthea mentions how her friends are sometimes surprised that her cooking is still okay. Have any of you ever experienced that? If so, reach out and let me know. If you have a story that you'd like to share, or if you'd like to be interviewed for the podcast, please email me at thesmellpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at thesmellpodcast, and visit me online at thesmellpodcast.com. I'm always interested in sharing your stories. Please rate, review, and subscribe to The Smell Podcast if you listen using iTunes. Reviews are helpful because they allow others to find the podcast. And finally, if you'd like to financially support the show, you can do so by clicking on the link in the episode description. I really appreciate your support. And a big thank you to everyone who currently contributes to the show. Your generosity is what makes the podcast possible. Until next time, have a great day, be well, and stay safe.